Amen. Friends, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have called us out of darkness into light and that we celebrate that today through the power of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. We pray that you would help us now as we look at your word, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we may grasp the nature of this resurrection and what it means for us. We pray in his mighty name. Amen. A bazaar was held in a village in northern India and everybody brought their wares and trades to sell. One old farmer brought a whole covey of quail and he had tied a string to the leg of each one of the birds. And the other end of the string was attached to a ring which fit loosely around a central stick. And he had taught the quail to walk dolefully around and around and around in a circle, much like a mule or mules would walk at a sugarcane mill. Nobody seemed interested in buying the birds until a particular man came along with a heart full of compassion that went out to those poor creatures as he watched them just monotonously walking around in a circle after a circle after a circle. And he went to the merchant and he said, I want to buy them all. And the merchant was elated. After receiving the money, he was surprised to hear the buyer say, now I want you to set them all free. What's that, sir? The merchant said. You heard me. Cut the strings from their legs and turn them loose. Set them all free. With a shrug, the old farmer did just that. He bent down, he snipped the strings off the quail, and they were freed at last. But what do you think happened? The birds simply continued marching around in a circle and pretending or acting as if they were still enslaved. The man finally had to shoo them off and fly away they did, but even as they landed some distance away, they resumed their predictable march. Free, unfettered, released, and yet they kept going around in circles as if they were still tied, as if they were still enslaved. Some people are like that. It's actually an apt description of the human condition. Some of us are quite concerned with freedom, and perhaps some of us not as concerned as we should be. Some of us are quite concerned with a particular type of freedom, especially in this political environment but perhaps we lack a vision for the most important type of freedom. And some of us are slaves and we don't even know it because we haven't known anything different. And then there are some who actually are free, but we still act like slaves. And I'm not talking about political freedom or slavery. This morning I want to talk about the implications of the death, burial, and resurrection for Jesus for your spiritual freedom or slavery. 
You see, on Easter Sunday, as you know, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And this resurrection means very simply at its core that you can be free. You don't have to be a slave anymore. You can be free to have a new life with God. And that's what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. And so I want to ask you to turn with me and follow along as I read here in just a moment. In Romans chapter 6, we see a variety of incredible spiritual realities. And Paul takes us on a journey of a very detailed and logical argument about death, burial, resurrection, and what it means for your life today. But at its core is this reality. You don't have to be a slave anymore. You can be free. And this is what he says, starting at verse 1. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again And the power of this resurrection is applied to all of those who would put their faith in him. And he gets to the implication of that for you and for me today. But underlying it all is the reality that Jesus came to earth to die. That was his mission That was his choice. He tells us that in John chapter 10. He says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, he says. I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and have the authority to take it up again. 
This charge I received from my father. So Jesus laid down his life willingly. You might even say that he lived to die. And that's sort of an upside down dynamic because people don't live to die. People live to live. People live to enjoy. People live to love. People live to experience things. People live to procreate. People live to perpetuate their family name. People don't live for the purpose of dying. But that's what Jesus did. That's why he came. That's the core of his mission. He lived to die. But he didn't just live to die. He lived to die to live again. Notice what he said. He says, I have the authority to lay my life down and the authority to take it up again. Jesus from the very beginning knew that his mission was to die but he also knew that resurrection would follow his death. He would take up his life again. And in this, you see the resurrection as a plan of God from the very beginning for many reasons. The resurrection displays the satisfactory nature of Jesus' sacrifice for our sin. It displays his victory over sin, death, and the devil. It displays the fact that Jesus is the eternal king for all of us to recognize. But this resurrection also has a very specific power as it relates to your life and my life. And that's what Romans 6 talks to us about. But just as it might feel backwards that Jesus lived to die, it also might feel a little backwards that the call in following Jesus is actually a call for you and for me that we need to die in order to truly live. If you want to truly be alive to God, if you want to experience a relationship with God with vibrancy and joy, if you want to know and love him forever, Romans 6 says that you need to die. And I'm not talking about physical death. Paul is talking about a spiritual death. And why is that? It might seem a little bit confusing. But the passage indicates that without dying, you will remain a slave to the sin that entangles you. Now, sin is not a very popular word today, certainly not in our culture. Some churches hardly even talk about sin anymore. We'd rather soften the idea of sin with maybe a little bit more gentle language. We would rather talk about mistakes that we make or shortcomings that we have or things that happened to me or perhaps the fact that we misbehave sometimes. Sometimes we become like the child 
who we've all seen at one time or another. Maybe this is the child or children in your house this afternoon on Easter Sunday. The children who emerge from the Sunday school classroom that's chaotic in its nature to inform all of the adults who had heard what was happening and started to gather around to come and collect their children and to investigate what's going on. And as the door is flung open, the child comes out and says, we're being really bad. (laughs) And we don't know how to stop. All of our children probably have expressed that in one way or another. Or perhaps the man who went to his doctor for a consult and said, Doc, I've been misbehaving and my conscience is troubling me. And the doctor replied, and you want something that will strengthen your willpower? Well, no, The man said, I was thinking that perhaps you could give me something that would weaken my conscience. (laughs) But Oswald Chambers once wrote and tells us accurately that sin is not a weakness. Sin is a disease. It's a red-handed rebellion against God. And the magnitude of that rebellion is seen on the cross of Calvary. And so when you look at Romans 6, you see that sin, the idea of sin and the power of sin is the pervasive problem that the resurrection answers. And Paul talks about it in terms of our chief and mortal enemy, the thing that will destroy us in this life. Let me just survey it very quickly for you because if you look through these 14 verses, it is everywhere. He says in verse one, are we we to continue in sin? In verse two, can we live in sin? In verse six, the body of sin. In verse six, enslaved to sin. In verse seven, set free from sin. In verse 10, the death Jesus died, he died to sin. In verse 11, consider yourselves dead to sin. In verse 12, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies, making you obey its passion. In verse 14, sin has no dominion over you. Paul has a whole lot to say about the effects of sin. (laughs) Most notably, we might summarize it by saying, we live by sin because we are slaves to it. And what do slaves do? Slaves do exactly what their master tells them to do. They can't do anything else. And so if you are enslaved, what do you do? You do exactly what your master sin tells you to do. You can't do anything else. Now, you might say, Nick, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if that's true. I'm an independent person. I feel like I'm free in this life. I do what I want. I don't do what I don't want. I live with the consequences. But think about it. Why do you keep going back and doing the things that you think you want to do 
but only to find out again and again that they don't deliver on their promised allure. And yet you do it again and again. Why, knowing right and wrong, do you choose wrong even though it leaves you empty? And why, in the quiet of the night, do you stare at the ceiling, wanting something to change in your life, not wanting to do the same things that you're doing, but you feel paralyzed to enact the type of change that is needed? Why is that? It's because you're a slave. A slave to sin. And you do what your master tells you to do. And this begs the question. Nobody wants to be a slave. So how does a slave become free? Well, I can think of two ways. Number one, the master sets them free. But you know that this master, sin, not that type of master. Not the type of master that's going to just all of a sudden set you free. So how else does a slave become free? Number two, the slave dies. And thus the master has no hold over them any longer. And now the logic of Romans 6 is starting to make sense. This is where dying to live actually becomes attractive. That's why he says in Romans 6, verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. And so the voice of sin might be very loud, but the voice of forgiveness is even louder. One of the reasons that Jesus died was that he died for sin so that you could die to sin. When you put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you become united to him and him to you in a spiritual sense and that his physical death for sin becomes applied to your life, to your spiritual death, to sin. That's part of what forgiveness accomplishes for you. And as a result, if you become dead to sin, you're free. It's no longer your master because masters don't hold sway over dead people. A slave no more. It's weird to think about needing to die to truly live. But it is the spiritual dynamic, my friend. If you do not die to sin, you will follow it all of your days. But if you die to it, through faith in Christ, you will be set free. But you don't die just to die and be set free and stay dead. That would be of little gain at all. If a slave dies to its master, sure, it's free from the master, but it's still dead. And who wants that? 
And that's where the resurrection applied to you becomes very good news. Because Paul says that Jesus' death is applied to us, but also his resurrection is applied to us as well. And he describes it in a couple ways. Verse 4, look at it with me. We're buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Where it says in verse 11, 10 and 11, the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus means that you can be alive to God truly as a person who is free from slavery of sin. That's the benefit for you today in this very moment. Jesus rose from the dead so you can be free. You don't have to be a slave anymore. And you can have a new life. Now the implications of this are profound. And they are many. Many more than we have time for this morning. But let me just give you five quick but powerful implications of this resurrection power applied to your life. Your freedom. The first implication is this. The gift of grace that God gives to you is not just a one-time gift. He extends it through your whole life. Then your status has changed through grace and it defines who you are. What that means is your status has changed. You don't go back to being a slave anymore. The grace applies to you forever. And when you screw up, he continues to give you grace. Secondly, if you are alive to God, as verse 11 says, and you have the newness of life, as verse 4 says, it's great to experience God in a whole new way that you couldn't experience before. You're alive into your affections. Your desires are oriented toward him. But also, that means that your past sins, your past guilt, the past power and sway of sin over you and defining who you are is also dead along with your old self. The newness of life means just that. New. And you can illustrate this in a number of ways. One of my favorite ways to give an example of this is that just say, for example, you meet someone who you used to go to high school with 25 years ago. And you're talking about life and you're catching up and you're talking about your family and your job and somewhere in the conversation comes up the fact that you're a Christian now and you weren't back then. And they look at you like you have three heads. They say, what? You're a Christian? I know what we used to do together back when we were 17. I know the way you used to talk. I know the number of people you slept with in high school. I know how much you used to drink. I know that you lied and lied and lied and lied and lied. How on God's green earth could he let someone like you into his family? To which your response is very simply, that person is dead. And all of the stuff 
that that person did died with them because I have a new life. That's the power of the resurrection for you today. Number three, if you are dead to the power of sin, then no matter how strong the allure or the pull of sin is, you actually have the ability to resist temptation. You're not a slave anymore. God gives you the power and the ability through his Holy Spirit to do the right thing, to make the right choice, to live in a manner that is honoring to him. And that is really good news because you didn't have that ability before. Number four, when you do sin, and you will, and we all do, and we're reminded of our old life, our old self, we're tempted with the idea of acting like a slave again, even though we're free. We're conscious of the fact that Christ's work is not done in us yet, that he's still doing it, (laughs) and we need him to do it, and that We don't live under law, but we live under grace. And his grace is ever-present before us. I think about the report from New York Times reporter Nicholas Kristof a number of years ago in which he purchased the freedom of two Cambodian prostitutes from their brothel owners. He selected young women who were there against their will, who were willing to tell their story and who actually wanted to leave prostitution. The first woman, Shrey Neth, was a simple transaction. For a mere $150, Christoph left, the gir- left with the girl and a receipt. Her freedom was purchased. The second, Shrey's mom, that situation turned out to be a little bit more difficult since the brothel owner demanded more money for her. And after some grumpy negotiations, the owner accepted the price of $203 for her freedom. But then Shrey's mom told me that she had pawned her cell phone and needed $55 to get it back. Forget about your cell phone, he said. We've got to get out of here. And at that, she started to cry. And Christoph said, I told her that she would have to choose between her cell phone or her freedom. And she ran back to her tiny little room in the brothel and locked the door. With her inside sobbing in her room and refusing to be freed without her cell phone, the other prostitutes, her closest friends, began pleading with her to be reasonable. And even the owner of the brothel begged her to grab chance of this opportunity while you still can, but she hysterically refused to leave. She only stopped crying when Christoph agreed to buy back the cell phone too. And then she asked that her pawned jewelry would be part of the deal as well. Christoph reflected upon the complex emotions making the decision to leave the brothel so difficult. He said, I've purchased the freedom of two human beings so I can return them to their villages. But will emancipation help them? Will their families and villages accept them? 
Or will they, like some other girls rescued from sexual servitude, find freedom so unsettling that they slink back into the slavery of the brothels? Time will tell. Sometimes, some of us may resemble the woman. Though Christ sets us free from sin and death, how often we choose to go back and live in slavery instead of in the newness of life. And that's why he gives the exhortation Verse 12 through 14, this is the exhortation for those who put their faith in him but are struggling in this sin. He said, let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. The fifth implication is that if you put your faith in Christ, he's united to you and you to him in this mystical and spiritual union. He is in you and you are in him. And it becomes evident that no matter how difficult the circumstances of your life become, God's promise to never leave you nor forsake you is comforting and nearer to you than it feels like in the midst of your difficult circumstances. That means when life is hard, Christ is there. And it also means that when you are tempted to go back into slavery and you think for a moment that the allure is strong and I'm just going to go on the run for a while and we'll see what happens, that Christ is there as well, that he will not let you go and he will call you back to himself under conviction because that is his grace to you in that moment. There's a lot that we could say about Romans 6. There's beautiful, beautiful imagery and theology here, but suffice it to say for today, you don't have to be a slave anymore. (laughs) You don't have to be a slave. Jesus' resurrection to life means that you can have new life as well. Friends, this is the invitation of faith. It's the invitation for those of you who are Christians and those of you who have never put your faith in Christ. For those of you that might have a distant relationship with God, but have never recognized Jesus as your savior and as your king, have never submitted to him, have never asked him for forgiveness. This is the invitation for you. The invitation is an invitation to freedom. But the invitation is one that requires a response to believe in the Son of God, to receive the forgiveness that he offers, a forgiveness that he purchased for you with his very life, to enjoy the power that he gives you in his resurrection and the new life that comes after it. Resurrection of power, resurrection power applied to you. That's the invitation. For those of you who are Christians, the invitation is this. You don't have to be a slave anymore. Don't go back to living like a slave. 
rely on the power that God gives to resist sin, to pursue righteousness, to live in a manner that's the most fulfilling, to experience an ongoing newness of life. Because once you do and you enjoy that newness of life, you're compelled by the glory of the Savior. You love him more, you follow him more faithfully all of your days because you don't have to be a slave. The resurrection of Jesus sets you free. There's an old story that illustrates this well of Abraham Lincoln as he went down to the slave block to buy back a slave girl. And as she looked at this white man who was purchasing her, she figured it was just another white man going to buy her and then abuse her. Lincoln won the bid. And as he was walking away with his property, he said, young lady, you are free. She said, what does that mean? Well, it means that you're free, he replied. Does that mean, she said, that I can say whatever I want to say? Lincoln said, yes, my dear. You can say whatever you want to say. Does that mean that I can be whatever I want to be? Yes, Lincoln said, you can be whatever you want to be. Does that mean that I can go wherever I want to go, she asked. Yes, he said, you can go wherever you want to go. And the girl with tears streaming down her face, experiencing freedom for the very first time, said, then I will go with you. That's the picture of the loving Savior who buys back our freedom and gives it to us that we may know him and love him and follow him and enjoy him forever. Friends, you don't have to be a slave anymore because Jesus rose from the dead. He gives you the newness of life when you put your faith in him. And so don't live like a slave. Live like a free person. Let's pray and thank him for that. Father, this power applied to us is profound. God, so many of us lived as slaves for so long, not even knowing we were enslaved until we tasted freedom. So many of us had a distant relationship from you without knowing what it meant to be alivened to you. So many of us longed for something we couldn't put words to or couldn't put our actions behind, but then Christ entered our life. Today we lift him high. We thank you for his sacrificial death. We thank you for his resurrection, which buys our freedom, and we honor him and glorify him. Help us today to respond in kind. We ask, amen.